Volume 2, Chapter 14 of the Heidenmauer, or the Benedictines, A Legend of the Rhine, by James Fedimore Cooper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Joel Kendrick. The Heidenmauer, by James Fedimore Cooper, Volume 2, Chapter 14. Fie, Uncle Beaufort, I have heard you preach. That malice was a great and grievous sin. King Henry the Sixth. The social character of a Benedictine community has been mentioned in one of the earlier chapters. That of Einzenden, though charged with the worship of altars especially favored, formed no exception to the general rule. If anything, the number of distinguished pilgrims that frequented its shrines rendered it liable to more than usual demands on its hospitality, demands that were met by a suitable attention to the rules of the Brotherhood. Even Loretto has its palace for the entertainment of such princes as can descend from their thrones to kneel in the Santa Casa. For policy, not to speak of a more generous motive, requires that the path should be smoothed to those devotees who are unaccustomed to encounter difficulties. In conformity with the rule of their order, then, though dwelling in the included and wild region already described, the fraternity of Our Lady of the Hermits had their abbot's abode, their lodgings for the stranger, and their stores of cheer, as well as their cells and their religious rites. It was about three hours after the interview related in the last chapter, a time that brings us near the turn of the night, that we shall return to the narrative. The scene is a banqueting hall, or to speak in more measured phrase, a private refectory, in which the princely abbot was wont to entertain those in whose behalf he saw sufficient reasons to exercise more than ordinary attention and favor. There was no great show of luxury in the ordinary decorations of the place, for a useless display of its means formed no part of the system of a community that chiefly existed by the liberality of the pious. Still the hall was well arranged as comported with the rude habits of the age in that secluded region, habits that consulted the substantial portion of human enjoyments far more than those elaborate and effeminate inventions which use has since rendered nearly indispensable to later generations. The floor was of tile, not very nicely polished. The walls were wainscoted in dark oak, and the ceiling had a rude attempt to represent the supper given at the marriage of Cana and the miracle of the wine. Notwithstanding, it was midsummer, a cheerful fire blazed in a chimney of huge dimensions, the size of the apartment and the keen air of the mountains rendering such an auxiliary not only agreeable, but necessary. The board was spacious and well covered, offering a generous display of those healthful and warm liquors, which have so long given the Rhine additional estimation with every traveler of taste. Around the table were placed the abbot and his unhoused peer, Bonifacius a favorite or two of the community of Einzenden, with Emic, the Knight of Rhodes, the Abbe, Heinrich Frey, and the Smith. The former were in their usual conventual robes, while the latter were confounded, so far as externals were concerned, in their dresses of pilgrims. Dietrich owed his present advantage altogether to the fortuitous circumstance of being found in so good company, divested of the usual distinguishing marks of his rank. If Bonifacius was at all aware of his character, indifference or policy prevented its exposure. Had one been suddenly introduced to this midnight scene, he would scarce have recognized the weary penitent and the reproving churchman in the jovial cheer and boon companionship of the hour. Had one been suddenly introduced to this midnight scene, he would scarce have recognized the weary penitent and the reproving churchman in the joyful cheer and boon companionship of the hour. 
The appetite was already more than satisfied, and many a glass had been quaffed in honor of both hosts and guests, ere the precise moment to which we transfer the action of the tale. The princely prelate occupied the seat of honor, as became his high rank, while Bonifacius was seated at one elbow and the Count of Hartenberg at the other. The great consideration due to the first, as well as his personal character and mild manners, had served to preserve all outward appearances of amity and courteous intercourse between his neighbors, neither of whom had, as of yet, suffered the slightest intimation of their former knowledge of each other to escape him. This polite duplicity, which we have every reason to think is of very ancient origin, and in which Albrecht of Weiderbach and Monsieur Latouche assisted with rare felicity, aided in curbing the feelings of their inferiors, who, being less trained in the seemliness of deception, might otherwise have given vent to some of their bodily pains by illusions of an irritating and questionable nature. Thou findest our liquors palatable? courteously observed the abbot as we shall par excellence now distinguish him of einzenden this of the silver cup cometh from the liberality of thy late elector who had occasion to send votive offerings in behalf of the illness of one of his family to our lady of the hermits and who had the grace to accompany the memorial to the convent treasury by the sign of private regard and that thou seemest most to relish is a neighborly boon from our brother of St. Gall, than whom more generous churchman does not wear a cowl. Thou knowest, son, that the matter of good wine hath long been the subject of a special care with that thriving brotherhood. Thou overratest my knowledge of history, princely abbot, returned Emic, setting down the glass, however in a manner to show that his familiarity with good liquors might safely be assumed. We of the lower countries waste but little time on these studies, trusting chiefly to those who dwell at the universities for the truth of what we hear. If he of St. Gall dispenseth much of this goodly liquor, certes it were well that our spiritual guardians sent us on occasions to make our pilgrimages in that region, which cannot be far from this unless my geography is greatly in fault. Thou couldst not have better divined, hast thou been a doctor of Wittenberg or of Rome itself. Considering our mountain paths and the insufficiency of the bridges and other conveniences, it may require two sons to urge a beast from our convent gate to that of our brother of St. Gall, though on emergencies we have succeeded by means of our faithful footmen in getting tidings to their ears within the day and night. St. Gall is a wealthy and well-bestowed abbey of very ancient existence and of much repute as the haven of letters during the darkest period, learned Bonifacius, of our more modern times. Though the late increase of its town and the growing turbulences of the times have not permitted it to escape with impunity from the dangers that now beset all of Rome. This was the first allusion which had been made to the events that had so singularly brought the present company together and but for the address and self-command of Bonifacius, it might have brought on a discussion that would not have proved agreeable. St. Gall and its merits are unknown to none who wear the frock of St. Benedict, he said with admirable composure. Thou hast well said that its walls were, for many ages, the sole protectors of learning in our Europe. For without the diligence and fidelity of its abbots and brotherhood, much that is now preserved and prized would have been irretrievably lost to posterity and to ourselves. I doubt not, Reverend Benedictine, observed Emic, speaking courteously across the abbot to Bonifacius, much as a well-bred guest at board addresses a convive to whom he is otherwise a stranger. 
that this rare taste in liquors of which there has just been questioned is the fruit of the excellent knowledge which you extol. That is a point I shall not hastily decide, returned Bonifacia, smiling. It may be so, for we have accounts of sore discord between St. Gall and others, even of the church, touching the uses and qualities of their wines. That have we, and right faithfully recorded, rejoined the abbot. There was the war between the Prince Bishop of Ball and our brethren of St. Gall that led to sore contentions and heavy losses. How did the desire to partake urge our Rhenish prelate to push adventures so far as to come this distance in quest of liquor? Thou art in error, son pilgrim, concerning the nature of St. Gall's stores. We have vineyards, it is true, among these mountains as witness those on the shores of the neighboring lake of Zurich, as well as others that might be named, but our country wines will warm the blood of peasant only. He that hath tasted better seldom fills his cup with liquor that comes from any region this side the farther border of Swabia, your vines of the Rheingau in specialty, whereas the territories of St. Gall lie still farther from those favored countries than we ourselves. You have need to explain, princely abbot, for that the Basrois should come in our direction in quest of good liquor is clear enough, whereas the war you have named would have sent him farther from his object. Thou hast not come hither, son, without marking the course of the Rhine on whose banks thou hast so long journeyed. This great stream, though so turbulent and dangerous among the mountains, is of much use in procuring our supplies. By means of the Lake Constance and the Lower River, heavy burthens arrive at the very territory of our sister abbey, and the dispute to which there has been allusion came of the fact that the right reverend prelate of Ball would fain have demanded toll on the purchases of the abbey. Thou mayest remember, brother, looking toward Bonifacius, that when both were tired of blows, the good bishop sent to demand what the virgin had done that the churchman above should slay her own people and that he received for a merry answer the question of, What has St. Gall done that thou shouldest stop his wines? The listeners laughed in low simpers, like men amused with this characteristic narrative, for such incidents were yet too recent to excite much other reflection, even among churchmen, than what was connected with the vulgar temporal interests of the incident. By the magi, holy and princely abbot, thy tale giveth additional flavor, said Emic, who greatly enjoyed the quarrel. It, moreover, serveth to shut out thoughts that come from aching bones and weary feet. Thy pilgrimage, son, will bring its rewards as well as its pains. Should it be a means of removing thee for a time from the heresies of Germany and placing thee and thine in more friendly communion with the church, the toil will not be lost. As such do I esteem the duty, returned Emic, tossing off his glass after steadily regarding the liquor a moment by the firelight. St. Gall had the right of the matter, and he who would not take up arms for this did not deserve to wear them. How now, Herr Frey, thou art silent. Not more so, I trust, nobly born Emic, than becometh one on a pilgrimage, and one who hath need to bethink him of his duties, lest his town should have cause to reproach him with negligence. God's truth, Master Burgomaster! If any here have reason to bethink them of Durkheim, it is the city's sovereign and lord." and let us lighten the load we carry, always under the favor and good graces of this hospitable and well-endowed brotherhood. Thou art a servitor of the cross, demanded the abbot of Albrecht of Weiderbach, beckoning the knight to come nearer. An indifferent one, princely and pious Rudiger, and I might say one that hath yielded to the seductions of company and good fellowship, not to speak of the force of blood. 
else would he have been spared this expiation. Nay, I name not thy pursuit with the intent to reproach, interrupted the courteous prelate. Such liberty does not become hospitality. We make a difference within these walls between the confessional and the board. The distinction is just and promises perpetuity and lasting respect to our faith spite of all our heresies. The rock on which this brother Luther and his followers will split, holy abbot, at least it so seemeth to an uninstructed capacity, is the desire to refine beyond men's means of endurance. Religion, like chivalry, is good in its way, but neither the priest nor the knight can bear his armor at all times and seasons. Your schismatic hath the desire to convert the layman into a monk, whereas the beauty of creation is its order, and he that is charged with the cure of souls is sufficient for his object without laying this constant burthen on the shoulders of him that hath already more temporal cares than he can bear. Were others more of thy mind, son, we should have less trouble and better discipline. Our altars are not useless, and if they who frequent them could be content to think that we are sufficient for their safety, the world would be saved much disputation, and haply some shedding of blood. But with these safe and creditable opinions, Sir Knight and Pilgrim, continued the abbot, dropping his voice to a more confidential key, it may be permitted me to express surprise that I see one of a penitent's commanded for violence done a convent. Albrecht of Weiderbach shrugged his shoulders and glanced meaningly toward his cousin. What will you, right noble and reverend prelate? We are but the creatures of accident. There is respect due to fellowship and hospitality to say naught of the claims of blood and kindred. The evil turn of the Rhodian warfare, some longings to look again at our German fields, for the fatherland keeps its hold of us more particularly in adversity with the habits of an unsettled existence serve to lead me to the castle of hartenburg and fairly entered it will excite no wonder that the guest was ready to lend his sword in a short foray to the host these sallies as thou well knowest princely rudiger are not so rare as to be deemed miracles what thou sayest is true returned the abbot always speaking as it were aside to the knight and manifesting no great surprise at this avowal of principles that were common enough in that age and which have descended in a different form to our own since we daily see men in the gravest affairs of a nation putting their morality at the disposal of party rather than incur the odium of being wanting in this species of social faith what thou sayest is very true and may well furnish thy plea with the grand master thou mayest on some accounts too find this pilgrimage wholesome doubt it not reverend abbot we had little time during the siege to pay attention due to the rites and the general looseness of our lives since driven from the island has left long arrears to settle a fact that i endeavour to remember now and thy associate he of gentle mien hath he not also connection with the church albrecht turned to whisper the reply tis but one that circulates under the frock holy benedictine a youth that hath been the dupe of lord emic for to speak thee fair my cousin wanteth not of the policy necessary to his condition and to the habits of a sage government the abbot smiled in a way to show a good intelligence between him and his companion after this they talked apart earnestly for a while beckoning monsieur latouche to make one of their party after sundry glances in his direction in the meantime the general discourse proceeded among the other guests 
I was sorrowed to hear, Reverend Benedictine, proceeded the Count, purposely avoiding the eye of Bonifacius by addressing himself to one of the Brotherhood of Einzenden, that thy community hath refused us masses for the soul of one that fell in that unhappy dispute which is the cause of our present pleasure, in being in so goodly company. I loved the youth, and would fain deal liberally by those that remember his present necessities. Hath the matter been fairly put to those having the right to decide? demanded the monk, showing the direction of his eye that he met his superior. They tell me it hath, and put touchingly, but without success. I trust there has been no hostile interference in this affair, which concerneth no less than a soul, and ought to be dealt by tenderly. I know of but one, and that is the father of evil himself, that hath an enmity to souls answered the monk with very honest surprise. As for us, it is our pleasure to be of use on all such occasions, and that especially when the request is preferred by friends of the deceased that are worthy of so much higher favor. Does thou call those who overturn altars, said Bonifacius sternly and with great firmness of voice, who visit the temple with the armed hand and who divide the church worthy of her favors? Reverend Abbot! Nay, let him give his humor vent, said Emic proudly. The cold air and a roofless head are apt to move the temper. I would fain have met thee, Bonifacius, in amity, as should have been the case, after our solemn treaty, and all the reparations that are made, but the desire to rule, it would seem, does not abandon thee even in banishment. Thou art deceived in imagining that I shall forget myself or my office, rude Emic. The question was put to the Benedictine and not to thee. Then let the Benedictine answer. I ask thee, Father, is it becoming or just that a soul of a youth of good repute of moral life and of reasonable earthly hopes should be refused aid on the mere grudge of ancient hostility or haply that there were some passages at his death that might have been better avoided? The church must judge for itself, noble pilgrim, and decide on those rules which regulate its course. By the sainted eleven thousand! Thou forgettest that all usages have been respected, and that the masses are not asked as the beggar imploreth alms, but fairly counted gold is proffered in behalf of the youth. If enough has not been done in this way, I swear to thee, Bonifacius, since it would seem thy influence here is so strong, that on my return there shall be further offerings on his account. Burkhold was very dear to me, and I would not have it said that all memory of the boy is lost beneath the ashes of Limburg. Though both in their several ways were irascible, violent, and unaccustomed to control, neither Emic nor Bonifacius was wanting in that species of self-command which is so necessary to men entrusted with the care of important interests. They had early learned to bring feeling more or less in subjection to their policy, and though not quite equal to a cold and managed display of indifference on such subjects as too closely cross their views, it required a certain combination of excitement to induce either, unnecessarily, to betray his true emotions. Their personal intercourse had, in consequence of this affected moderation, been less violent and wrangling than what otherwise have proved, for it did not often happen that both found themselves wrought up to the point of explosion precisely at the same instant, and he that happened to remain the coolest stood as a check on the passions of him who had momentarily forgotten appearances. But for this fact, the ill-timed and ill-worded question of the Count might have produced an immediate rupture to the injury of the pilgrim's interests and to the great scandal of Brotherhood of Einzenden. As it was, however, Bonifacius listened with outward courtesy and answered more like one that remembered his priestly office than his particular injuries. 
Had it been my good fortune, Herr Pilgrim, he said calmly, to have remained in charge of altars so esteemed as to have sought on such a behalf thy application in favor of the youth, would have received meet attention. But thou now addresseth a prelate that, like thee, is indebted to the hospitality of these excellent brothers for a roof to cover his head. Nay, I know not, added the Count, a little confused by this sudden humility, but rather than desert so young a soul in this strait, and a soul of a servitor whom I so much loved, that I would not even now endow some chapel of a size and decoration suited to his station while living. On Limburg Hill, Herr Emick? Nay, excellent Bonifacius, thou forgettest our loving treaty, this pilgrimage and other conditions honorably fulfilled. Altars can never rise again on Limburg Hill, for that were to lose sight of our oaths and promises, which would be a crying sin in both. But altars and chapels may exist elsewhere. Give us then this grace, and look to our gratitude and justice for this reward. Bonifacius smiled, for he felt his power, and he enjoyed it like a man conscious of having so lately been in the hands of the very baron who now so earnestly beseeched his favor. It may not be easy for one educated in these later days to understand the singular contradiction which led Emic of Hartenburg, the destroyer of Limburg, thus to entreat a monk. But he who would properly understand his character must remember the durability of impressions made in youth, the dread mystery that is attached to the unknown future, and most of all the flagrant inconsistencies that are always the fruits of a struggle between principles and interests, between the force of reason and the desires of selfishness. Thou accusest me unwarrantably when thou sayest that our oaths or our loving treaty is forgotten, pious pilgrim, returned the Benedictine. Both are respected and well remembered as thou wilt see in the end. But there is a feature in this request of thine that hath apparently escaped unwittingly one of thy known justice and impartiality. Thy forester is well known for having greatly affected the heresy that is ripe in Germany. Nay, Bonifacius, here must be an error interrupted the Count. Thou hast his very mother in our pilgrimage, and dost think a proselyte of Luther would undertake so grievous pain to satisfy Rome? We speak of the child and not the parent, Herr Pilgrim. Had all that were trained in better principles, observed the opinions of their fathers, our age would have been spared this heresy. Of the boy's irreverence there can be little doubt, since mine own ears have been my witnesses. How hast thou ever shrived the youth, Reverend Abbot? demanded Emic in surprise. I did not think thee of so great condescension to one of his hopes, nor by the mass did I think the youth so weak as to touch on disputed points at the confessional. There are other acknowledgments made, Herr Pilgrim, than those which are heard in the church or under the cloak of her mysteries. There was formerly a question between us, noble Count, amicably settled, and in a merry manner that need not now be named. Touching certain vineyards, rejoined Emic, laughing. The fact is not so distant as to be forgotten, though neither my cousin nor this could abbe proved as staunch in that matter as had been expected. Thy forester did better service. Thou mayest also remember there were certain discussions then had that the bold boy ventured on a comparison of the tree trimmed of its useless branches and the tree suffered to stand in its deformity. Wilt thou abandon a soul to jeopardy for speech light as this, Herr Bonifacius? God's justice! This promiseth but little in mine own behalf at some future day. Burkhold, heated and warm in the interest of his lord, threw out hints that might otherwise have been spared. Moreover, the greater the sinner, father, the greater need of masses and prayers. This I will not gainsay. My objection goeth no farther than to urge that those who are willing to live by the counsels of Luther should also be willing to seek salvation by his means. 
"'Friends and pilgrims,' said the abbot of Einzenden, approaching the table from which he had retired a little, to converse more freely with the abbot and the knight of Rhodes. "'The hour is at hand which has been set aside to celebrate an early mass in behalf of this pilgrimage. The bell is giving the first summons, and it is meet that we retire to prepare ourselves for the duty.' At this interruption, Bonifacius, who saw a storm gathering, gladly arose and instantly withdrew. The rest dropped off according to their several conditions, Emic and his cousin retiring with the leisure of men more accustomed to make others wait than of hastening their movements to the injury of their own convenience. After perusing this scene, we admonish the reader to spare his remarks until the subject has been well pondered in his mind. In portraying what passed in the private refectory of the convent of Our Lady of the Hermits, we wish to convey no censure on any particular persuasion or sect or order of Christians, but simply to exhibit the habits and opinions of the age in which the individuals of this legend existed. Let those who are disposed to be hypocritical or censorious in their remarks coolly look around them and, first making the necessary allowances for the new aspects of society, put the question whether contradictions as apparent, inconsistencies nearly as irreconcilable with truth, and selfishness almost as gross and as unjust is not now manifest equally among the adherents of Rome and the proselytes of Luther as any that have been here represented. We may claim to have improved on the opinions and practices of our predecessors, but we are still far from being the consistent and equitable creatures that, it is to be hoped, we are yet destined to become. End of Volume 2, Chapter 14 Read by Joel Kendrick